Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. It's delightful to be able to see you all and and, uh, and to hear from you, and I hope that you're tuned in this morning. Uh, if you hear construction noises while I'm making this presentation, don't be alarmed by it because I'm doing some uh, rehab work on my house here and uh, putting on an addition, so they're making some racket. But if, hear, if you hear beating and banging, just, just, just know that's what it is. But as we begin today, I'd like to start with a word of prayer. Let me invite you to pray. Father, we adore you above all things. We love you. We honor you this way by putting you at the beginning here. And we confess that we we can be better Christians if you will help us with this holy word and inspire us to do your will and to be like you would have us be. We give you thanks for our homes and friends and family. We give you thanks for our places of employment and for the love that you have for us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. Well, the Lord is good and the sun is shining. I'm going to begin with the reading of what today's topic is, the fourth chapter of the book of Timothy. We've looked at all four chapters as an overview, and now we're going to look at the fourth chapter as an overview. Let me read the Bible to you from the fourth chapter of 1 Timothy. But the Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times some of the church will turn away from Christ and become eager teachers with devil-inspired ideas. These teachers will tell lies with straight faces and do it so often that their consciences won't even bother them. They will say it's wrong to be married and wrong to eat meat even though God gave these things to well-taught Christians to enjoy and be thankful for. For everything God made is good, and we may eat it gladly if we are thankful for it. And if we ask God to bless it, for it is made good by the word of God and prayer, If you explain this to others, you will be doing your duty as a worthy pastor who is fed by faith by the true teaching you have followed. Don't waste time arguing over foolish ideas and silly myths and legends. Spend your time and energy in the exercise of keeping spiritually fit. Bodily exercise is all right, but Spiritual exercise is much more important, and it is a tonic for all you do. 
So exercise yourself spiritually. Practice being a better Christian. Because that will help you. Not only now in this life, but in the next life too. This is the truth, and everyone should accept it. We work hard and suffer much in order that people will believe it, for our hope is in the living God who died for all, and particularly for those who have accepted his salvation. Teach these things. Make sure everyone learns well by them. Don't let anyone think little of you because you are young. Be their ideal. Let them follow the way you teach and live. Be a pattern for them in your love, your faith, and your clean thoughts. Until I get there, read and explain the scriptures to the church. Preach God's word. Be sure to use the abilities of God that he has given you through his prophets when the elders of the church, church laid their hands upon you. Put these abilities to work. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone may notice your improvement and progress. Keep a close watch on all you do and think. Stay true to what is right, and God will bless you and use you to help others. Therein's a lesson for today. Well, you can see straight off that this chapter is devoted to making some definitions. Uh, we, are, we are listening, as the lesson was read, to a writer who has some answers. He knows what is a good shepherd and he knows what constitutes a bad shepherd. And he wants Timothy to know the difference according to the writer's perspective and therefore be a church leader that God is calling him to be. One of the wonderful things we can infer from this is Timothy's youth. Now it's a, a, a sort of an inference, but he directly says, don't, don't let people despise you because you're young. You see, Timothy probably was very young. Being young isn't bad. Being young sometimes is good. Well, ask yourself this. Would I rather have a real old doctor? who's wise and experienced, or a young one who has the up-to-date medical expertise to be able to take care of you better. Which one of the two? Me? Give me both of them. <laughs> I, want, I want both of them working on me. Of course you do. And that's what this text is like. It's making room for the older, wiser teachers to communicate with the younger, more up-to-date preacher. On the job, boots on the ground, one far away, one close in, one close in study. Take them both to heart. Let's listen to both of them as we go through today and think about it. If you look at this thing from the central state or this overview, you have three basic thoughts 
along with the good and bad shepherd scheme, it's uh, some things emerge which we need to think, think about. That there's a positive attitude toward marriage, a, a very positive attitude toward marriage, which, which, which means that it's negative toward the idea of cele celibacy. You, 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 to, to say I'm going to not be married for spiritual reasons is abhorrent to this to this thinker. He's heard this before, where you you're celibate for the Lord. He doesn't appreciate that. He doesn't think that's that's godly. Also, if you abstain from certain sorts of food, he doesn't like that idea either. He throws that out. Throws the idea of celibacy out. Throws the idea of eating the wrong kind of food out, because eating and drinking is. Not what this stuff is about. The spiritual quest. Now, this is important to consider because the great enemy of the church at that time was a heresy. It was called Gnosticism. Begin spelling with a G. G-N-O-S-T-I-C. Gnosticism was a form of early, well, you can call it philosophy, but it's just a Christianity of a sort where you have people who thought all sorts of strange things, and among them was the fact that perhaps celibacy would be good, perhaps eating the wrong kinds of food was bad, and like it or not, that that point in time, that's what the discussion was. So, the, the devotion and was important, and deviation from the faith is negative here. The sense of which all of this is in-house, and you don't you don't be influenced too much by what's outside. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is the minister and the faith. We talked about the good and bad ministers. Ministers, they, one of the interesting things to talk about is silly myths and uh, and uh, these 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 legends. Uh, he doesn't approve of that. He says, uh, reject uh, this godless, silly legends and myths. Well, this was also a hallmark of Gnosticism. They, they were loaded with, with myths about what the devil has done and is doing. They were loaded with myths about what God had done and how they could be better Christians if they uh, pay, didn't pay so much attention to the flesh when, in fact, the flesh was... It's just crazy, silly stuff. Don't pay attention to it, this writer says. A minister can't be boiled down in that. It's like being boiled in oil. He has to have his faith straightened out. He has to have discipline about themselves. Now, this is good in, in any day. This, this lesson prepares anybody for Christian leadership. You have to have some sort of a, a, a discipline around you. I remember... I was in a class in seminary, and it was all Baptist except for me, and I was the only Methodist in the group. Now, the professor, he knew that uh, I was Methodist, and he knew that the rest of his students were Baptist, and he said to them, what is your discipline, he said to the young Baptist clergy there, and they struggled with it, and they, they thought a minute, and they said, well, well, we don't, the pastor determines that. And he looked straight at me. I'll never forget. He looked straight at me and he said to me, 
what does your discipline look like? And I, I didn't know what to do. I was sort of bowled over. So I said, here, I happened to have a copy of it with me. And I held it up. I said, it's a book. See it right here? It's, it's a thick book. And then he rocked back in his, on his heels. And he said, the professor said to the entire class, he said, now you see, the difference between the Methodist and the Baptist is their discipline is thicker than yours. Well, that was another day, 30-some, 40 years ago. Now it's different. We'll stretch that discipline like a rubber band to get around the latest social thing to come down the pike. Any trendy issue that suits us, we'll take that discipline and turn it into an elastic thing that, well, I'm getting ready to preach to you, and I don't mean to. I'm just saying that your discipline is important. The discipline of an athlete. If you want to run 10 miles, you don't do it by just walking around. You've got to get out there and try to run 10 miles. An athlete's body for the life that is here in this world, what he transfers that to is the life in the world to come, insisting that just as you build muscles and sinews for life's work and running abilities and whatever it is you do as a sporting athlete, now transfers to heaven. You must have heavenly muscles. You must do things that reward you spiritually and do those things constantly and regularly, building those muscles for the life that is to come. Please see. The minister is, is intimately connected to the hereafter and the here now in this way. He, he, he or she walks through the world with a self-concept of being immaterial, of being the, uh, uh, spiritual by nature while being human in the heart. So it's a difficult, difficult path to, to walk, but Timothy is encouraged to walk it. Uh, knowing full well that that he, he will be hurt sometimes. People will hurt him, uh, say things against him, uh, but he's got to love them anyway. So the old saying is true. A good pastor has to have the heart of a child, but the hide of a rhinoceros. Oh, man, <laughs> you've got to have a tough hide to, to, to do this. And you've got to have a soft, malleable, loving heart to be good at it. So, that's what he says. No myths, faith, work on that spiritual body here while you have time and place. Then he gives the example uh, to Timothy, admonitions toward him. Uh, he, he gives him some straight says, teach, preach. Look out for, do, do your written work, he says. Read is what, he's, what, he, what he insists on. When John Wesley picked up this text, he looked at it and he thought about it for a while, and he thought the most important thing in it was right there, read. And he hammered on it in his notes. He hammers on that read and finishes his sentence with an exclamation point, making sure that his pastors are well-read, wanting to say to them, you must know what is what is." what is important, then you must read it yourself. Not somebody else's interpretation of it, but you must read it yourself. Great old uh, theologian Karl Barth, old German 
theologian said, you read a good preacher has a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in another. That is to say that the juggle between the two determines reality, that that Bible supersedes that newspaper. That, but that newspaper informs you of what's going on in, in the world. Teach. Primary, one of the primary functions of a good leader is teachers and preachers. But that they take care of their written material, the things that they're supposed to read. And don't worry about the fact that he's young, he says in here. Don't, don't sweat that. Because a lot of people feel that if they don't have a great deal of experience, they're not going to be any good. But there are times when, when as has already been mentioned in this in these letter, this letter, that uh, if you if you are a new convert, then you may not be ready for this game yet. But on the other hand, if you're young and in it already, then there's a possibility that you're going to be fine. Just don't let nobody put you down because you are young. Uh, have good conduct. Watch your conduct, your comportment, he, he mentions. Uh, he does not use the word comportment. He uses more of the word conduct. And by that he means be loving and faithful and uh, pure, purity, purity of heart. And this this is relatively uh, not thought about too much anymore. It's kind of hep and good to be a sort of a runaway preacher. You know, these days, if you've got some gimmick, uh, you, 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 and, and you, you know, you tear some holes in your jeans and grow a beard like me or something cool, you know, get just anything, you know, wear some red stockings, uh, whatever it is that, that you think is, is cool and hip, well, get into that. Well, that, that's not what is intentioned here. Not with all the talk earlier about not adorning yourselves with jewels and all that sort of thing. These were plain people. The, the suggestion is, through the through the Greek words for meekness and, and, and humility, suggest uh, simple clothing. I, and certain faiths, certain denominations and uh, varieties thereof dress differently, such as the Amish people up here. Lancaster, Pennsylvania, they, they they dress plain, they call it, quote, plain. Somebody will have a pants on up to their knees and uh, a straw hat on their head, and they'll compliment that. They, oh, he looks very plain. He's, he's very plain. <laughs> and the Methodists did that, too, early on. They wore black suits and went around. Everybody had one on the payroll. The English lords would brag about having a Methodist for an accountant because they were so curious and concerned about the money all the time. And you could, they'd paint pictures of them in the, in the paintings. You'd see the old Lord laying back on the couch with a bottle of wine, but over in the corner would be a fellow in a black suit and black stockings and a little white collar. And you'd look and you'd say, who is that over there? That was the servant. That was the, that was the uh, guy who was taking care of his money. That was the treasurer. <laughs> black suited Methodist, that, that was... What we did, we were very unadorned, and a lot of people left our church because they thought we were getting away with that thing. You know, we were we, we were getting away from that, and we left behind a whole, almost a whole Pentecostal tradition. A lot of them, because of just the way they looked, you know. And I remember as a child, 
we'd make fun of some of the Pentecostal ladies because they always had the hair in a bun, you know, and they always you know, didn't wear makeup and, and were very serious and black dresses and all. But, but I tell you, they had something we didn't have. And that was that they were working on a spirituality at a different level, at a simple level, simple things. There's power in simple things to help you devote yourself to God. Now, in the issue of reading, he has public before reading and public before preaching and public before teaching in a sense. It's, it's where this takes place. This takes place. The, the spiritual leader there was preaching in public. That's, that's when you draw that disparity, it's interesting to think about. When you're preaching in public, it's important. You should preach in public. That is, preaching to everybody the same. That is, you don't just preach privately, you preach publicly. And you teach publicly. You shouldn't teach anything that you, you, you wouldn't teach to somebody in the public. It's not a, not a private thing. It's, it's open to the public. You exemplify God's gifts to you by remembering that hands were laid on your head. That's what's said in here, that Timothy has to remember that he is an example because elders laid hands on his head. He will save himself and some of his flock. That's indicated here. Not not in the theological sense that 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 he does the saving, but it is in the, in the in the sense that he has a big bearing on the spirituality of his flock, and that that is curious to me and interesting to me that it would do like that. Well, the organization is interesting. Let's step back a minute as we close and think for a minute about where all this sort of stuff comes from. Well. It's an area called the post-apostolic age. It's a time. A time when the original apostles had, had died away and a new breed was coming along. They were organizing themselves against what they knew to be heresies. And they were becoming more and more complicated as the time went on. Distinctions were made as you, in this text, you, that clarify what, what, what is good and what is bad in the sense of leaders. As they go along, they develop problems. They develop problems of organization straight off. You can tell this deacon elder thing, deacon elder bishop thing is, is becoming uh, a place of, of of many different rules or or what I refer to as disciplinary things. But questions begin to emerge like who was required? What was qualified to lead a, a congregation? Who, who was qualified? With all the apostles gone now and we had to pick somebody from among us who and what qualified us. Well, this text helps you see how important a good character was in the analysis of our leader. What was required to be taught? Well, that was another matter. 
that what, what they didn't have the gospel probably in their hands may have, but we don't know what they didn't have. They they, they kind of came up with out of their own discussions with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's influence on them. What was required to be taught? Well, they had little creeds that sneak their way into this text that, that then identified Jesus as Lord, for example, that indicate that we're all on our way to heaven, that, that, that the church is in society, but not necessarily of it. It's, it's, it's kind of like the Bible in the newspaper. It's in society there in the paper, but it's not, it's not of it because you've got the Bible on the other hand. Where would you like the leadership based? What, where is it going to be? Is it going to be in the city? Is it going to be in the town? Are you going to have a bishop of a town and a bunch of little churches around? Or was it all centralized in the, in the little cities? And eventually it did work that way to some degree. They, they, the, the, each little town had a bishop. And the bishop of the little towns would get together and go to some place and have a conference. And that's how it all started. And the, the church at Rome was the biggest one of all. And it had its own bishop. And some of them said that was St. Peter was the first bishop. And they said, well, must be Rome, must be the big deal. So Rome, the Roman church, became Papa, 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 like a, like a daddy, like a Papa. And the Papa became, word became Pope. Pope, Papa, Pope, same thing. And they had this, that's almost rhyme, Pope, Papa, Pope, Papa. <laughs> well, that means that the Pope rose to ascendancy because the town was big and the church was big. And that still happens to some degree. Some degree, they can teach what they want, but that, that's why they are teaching what they want because they're big cheese on the block, see? Why were they doing this? Well, time was passing. Social changes were emerging everywhere. They had to change their requirements. And here and there, certainly some of our requirements are different than their requirements are then because our discipline has been worked with and changed. Made fuller. Made more narrow. When was this happening? Well, the post-apostolic age. That wonderful, wonderful time in the history of the church where forces were creating a brand new life in Christ in the church on the one hand and more horrible heresies on the other. It was in a moving, creating mode. It even created Gnosticism in the post-apostolic age as well as a deepening of the Christian forces in the post-apostolic age. Well, that's what we've done today. We've We've covered a time when people said were accused of growing cold, falling away, and longing for the days of the past. Sound familiar to you? Many people growing cold, falling away from the true faith, and longing for the glory days of some John Wesley or St. Paul to straighten us out. No, that's between you, us and God. This text is right. If you ever want to believe a good chapter and get down in it and work hard to make yourself athletic with Jesus, this is the one right here. First Timothy chapter four. Hey, you know what? I've enjoyed being with you today. Got me stirred up a couple of times. You ought not to do that. <laughs> well,
Well, listen, maybe I'll see you again soon. If so, God bless you. May the Lord be with you, watch over you, and comfort you and guide you in all that you do and say this day. Amen. Bye-bye, everybody. Eu quero ser um testemunho